Nice. So today, Barb's going to be sharing God's word with us. Yeah, come on. Look at this, all the mod cons. You've got your preach on a tablet. I'm still using paper. Right then, let's pray for you. Is that all right? Yeah. Let's pray for her. Father God, thank you for Barb. Lord, thank you for uh, all that you've put in her, Lord, and all that you um, have been laying on her heart this week for your people in this place. And we just pray, God, today that you would just anoint her afresh as she brings your word. May she speak uh, your truth with authority and power, but with grace as well. And may we have humble and open hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to us today. Lord, your word brings life. So we pray, let it bring life in this place. And use this woman to do it. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. You want this one up there or are you going to? No, I'll hold it. Still. Okay. Kalimera. Good morning. Kalimera. I only just learned it last week. Okay, that's the only Greek word I'm going to teach you this morning, okay? <laughs> right. Now, I like to do a little bit of interaction so it keeps people awake when I'm preaching. All right? So, first thing I want you to do is we have a, a vision statement. So I want you to read it with me together, okay? It's not the counter-slip Baptist bit, it's the bit underneath that. So we'll read it together. Together, being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And I think what God wants us to do is to start becoming like Jesus. So... My remit was to look at Luke 7 to 12. So we're going to do a little bit of an overview, concentrating on the miracles of Jesus. Okay? So, there's my... Nope, that's not my... Okay. Right, first story is about the centurion. Now, you should have all read this in the last week. If you haven't, then you can catch up when you get home. Okay, the centurion had a beloved servant or bondservant, slave in other words. Now, this man had no rights, none whatsoever. He had no position in society, but his master cared for him a great deal. So much so that he asked the leaders of the synagogue to ask Jesus to heal him. Now, why would an important government official ask Jesus, a lowly carpenter from the nation he is policing, not only to ask Jesus, but to humble himself and tell him that he didn't want him to come to his house, respecting the Jewish law that a Jew should not enter a Gentile's house? He said, Lord, he sent an envoy when Jesus was getting quite close to uh, his house. And he said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to come under your roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, 
and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now the synagogue leaders came because this guy, they said, had paid for the synagogue, he built it, he loved the country. And because he loved the country and he loved the people, they loved him. And that makes a huge difference. If we love other people, they love us. If Jesus loved us first, we love him. It takes effort and it's costly to show love to people, perhaps people who are complete strangers. This guy was uh, a centurion, a leader of a foreign government, and yet he cared for the people that he was there to support and to protect. So, oops. Right, now I said technology doesn't always work, especially in my hands. So, and I was right. Good to go. Right, next story. <coughs> Jesus left there and he went to a town called Nain with his disciples and a large crowd. Now, these large crowds feature quite often in the Gospels. They follow Jesus everywhere. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. He was the son of a widow. Now, this is huge. You may or may not know that the eldest son, and I hope you're listening, John, has the responsibility to look after his mother. <laughs> so, if he didn't, she would be destitute. She'd be out on the street, she'd end up begging, and her life expectancy would not be very long. Now, Jesus had compassion on these people. We just spoke about having compassion on people who are on the fringe of society. A widow is in there. That era was on the fringe of society. So we need to care like Jesus did. Without being asked to heal anybody, he took it upon himself because of his compassion. He touched the beer. This, again, is huge because touching anything involving a dead body or a dead person made that person unclean. He touched the beer. And he raised the man from death and restored him to his mother. Compassion. Jesus had compassion. Now, this is an active verb. It's something that you act upon. If you have compassion for somebody, it's not saying, oh, you know, I feel really sorry for them. That's not compassion. It's actually doing something. What would you act on? What's God given you compassion about? Oh, I love technology. Okay, next slide because I can't find it on my... <laughs> right, next thing. Jesus went on a boat trip. I love boat trips. So, on this boat trip, there was a storm. 
and the storm was really bad. And the disciples, who were former fishermen, were afraid it was that bad. Jesus was not afraid. He was asleep. So they woke him. And he asked the frightened disciples, where is your faith? And then he calmed the sea and the wind. Now, these were seasoned sailors. They knew what they were doing. Jesus was not a sailor. He was a carpenter. But he had peace because he was the maker of heaven and earth. He was there right in the beginning. He knew that he had control over the sea and the wind. They didn't. They'd seen him raise people from the dead. They'd seen him do all sorts of things. But that's why I think Jesus said, where's your faith? They knew he was somebody special. They knew he was amazing. They knew he had a supernatural power to do all sorts of different things. When we're in a storm of whatever making, can you put your faith in a sleeping Jesus? Because even though he's asleep, he's still in control. When you ask him, he will stand up and do something. But it's not until you go to ask him that he will step in. You can struggle to do everything your own way. They were seasoned, seasoned fishermen, seasoned sailors. They struggled. But it wasn't until they asked Jesus and woke him up that he stood up and he calmed everything. So don't wait until you're drowning or fearful to ask him to step in. Don't laugh. I haven't done this for a long time. Okay. Now, he went on this boat trip and they landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a Gentile territory. Now, we know it's a Gentile territory because they had pigs and pigs to Jews are unclean animals God said you are not allowed to eat pigs they are unclean and having been on a farm where there are pigs I can completely assure you of that so he met a man and the poor guy was naked He'd been excluded from his home and his town, and he was living in caves amongst dead people. Now, in no culture is that a good thing, that people are living amongst cemeteries. That is just really not any good, either physically or spiritually. But that's where this guy lived. At a time, he'd been chained up like an animal, but he was so strong, he broke away his chains and he overcame the guards and he escaped. This man was dehumanized. And there are people that we look on, even today, perhaps not us personally, but that within our culture and with other cultures where people look down on people almost as if they're not human. And that is not right. We are all made in God's image. So, the demons confronted Jesus. Not the man, 
the demons. The demons knew who Jesus was. And they were the ones who went and spoke to him. And he told them to leave. No fuss. No rituals. No anything. He told them to leave. So they asked him not to send them to the abyss. And could they go in the pigs? And he gave permission. And the pigs were so shocked, they went screaming down the hill and went over into the lake. Now, this guy who was naked, everybody was afraid of, when Jesus touched, talked to him and healed him, and came into his life. He completely changed. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. And he wanted to go with Jesus. Now, sometimes we feel embarrassed, almost naked and afraid to, to do things. It was quite scary coming up here because I always said I wouldn't preach here. But God worked on me, and then Matt turned out and said, do you want to preach at Cactus Left? And I said, well, as God's told me for three days, and yes, I will. So that, don't blame him if you don't like my preach. So anyway, sometimes we are vulnerable. Sometimes we are scared. Sometimes we feel naked. You know that dream that they talk about when you sort of dream that you're naked in front of your colleagues at work or something? And people can feel very vulnerable. But is it that vulnerable stage that we can bring Jesus in? We can bring, ask him to come into our own lives. We can ask him to come into other people's lives as well. They so desperately need help, but they don't know where to turn. But we do. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Don't be afraid to be able to bring Jesus into their life. Because that's who they need. That's the only person who is really going to be able to make a difference. We've talked about people on drugs you know, they've gone on to drugs usually because of issues in their past and mental health issues. We used to do healing on the streets in Tang, in the Bear Pit. And there's a lot of people there who are drugs. And if you actually start talking to them and find out their background, they've had it really tough. You know, they've had it really, really tough. And I was able to bring Jesus, weren't able to completely heal them because that's not what we were doing. But just in my conversations with them, and Rick's had training in doing this as well, that we can bring Jesus to people who have no hope. Because he is hope. You've said that today. He is our hope. <coughs> Excuse me. Right, now, the townspeople did not like the fact that their livelihood had just gone in the sea. And they were even more petrified because this guy, who they knew was, you know, really out of it, was suddenly sat at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. They were petrified. So they asked Jesus to leave. But Jesus told this man, now don't forget, this man had been abused, rejected, treated really, really badly. And he told him not to come with him, but to go into the town and tell everybody about what God had done for him. He was the first missionary. He was the first missionary to the Gentiles. Go and tell 
what God has done for you. There is nothing stronger than personal testimony. Nobody can argue with personal testimony. They might argue with scripture. Well, most people don't understand scripture. But they might argue with all sorts of things. But if you have a personal testimony, nobody can argue with that. Especially if they knew you before and they can see the difference God's made in your life. Share your testimony wherever and whenever you get opportunity to. Share your testimony. Tell people about the goodness of God in your life because he's been good to every single one of us on a daily basis. Right, desperate woman, really, really desperate. She had spent all her money on doctors and they still hadn't cured her. And she still had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, if you have a flow of blood, you know that you end up getting anemic. It makes you ill in all sorts of different ways. But socially, she was excluded from anything that went on because of the Leviticus laws about a woman and a flow of blood. So this was a really, really big deal. She couldn't have relationship with anybody. She couldn't go out. She couldn't do anything. She had to, she was excluded. She couldn't go and worship. She couldn't, you know, she was basically a complete outcast. And this poor woman who had put her faith in doctors, as she would, had nothing left. And she felt that if she just touched Jesus' cloak, that she would be healed. Just touched his cloak. Yes! Well done, Matt. Well done, guys. I think that was a bit of a team effort then. Now, sometimes we might feel that we're a bit excluded, or perhaps we've been having a bit of time where we've been moving away from God. But all we have to do is just fight our way through the crowds. She shouldn't have been in the crowds, really, but she went because she was so desperate. And just touch his cloak, and we can be healed. Just touch his cloak. And Jesus, being Jesus, knew that power had gone out of him. So he turned around and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Because he knew that that particular touch wasn't like the general touches of the crowd, because the judge said, well, there's hundreds of people around here, everybody's touching. No, he said, somebody touched me. Now, I always advocate that the most important part of human communication is touch. There are so many lonely people who never, ever get touched. They never have a hand on their shoulder, they never have a hug, and that is so important. Remember the man in the tombs was dehumanized? He never saw anybody. He never got hugged or touched. Not till Jesus turned up. It makes us feel human. It makes us feel part of a community if we touch one another. Now, I'm a very huggy person anyway, as most of you know. Now, COVID's finished. I'm back to normal. But, I love touching people because it expresses my love for them. You know, somebody who never, ever gets touched. 
Do they feel that loved? I don't think so. So this poor woman just touched Jesus' cloak, and Jesus said, somebody touched me, because he felt power going from him to heal that person. Keep that in mind. And then, he was in this crowd because he was on the way to a child. Again, somebody who didn't have any social standing in their society. But Jairus, her father, did. He was the synagogue leader, somebody important. And yet he humbled himself and he asked Jesus to come and heal his daughter. He was desperate. Now, those of you who are parents, you will know how desperate you can get when your child is ill. Those of you who had parents know how desperate they got when you were ill, when you were a child. That it's something that really pulls on your heart when you see a child in pain. And there are children all around the world at the moment who are in pain, who are hungry and starving. So perhaps today God might start pulling on your heart to be able to do something about that. There are so many children without parents or with parents who abuse them that need loving homes. Perhaps God might put that on your heart. Anyway, Jairus' child, his daughter, was ill, very ill. So he asked Jesus to come. So this delay was making him very frustrated. But Jesus went. I remember he had a crowd with him. He keeps on having crowds with him. They want to see these miracles that Jesus does. But when he gets there, he tells everybody to leave. And it's just the child's parents and his close disciples in that room. And he says, Tabitha, get up. And the child gets up. Now, we all know when children are ill, they don't eat much. That is a big significant thing that you know that a child's ill because they're off their food. So the first thing Jesus said is, give us some food. Now, I believe he did this quietly so that they wouldn't have what we would call now media attention. Because she's a child, she wouldn't cope with it. She needed to get on with her childhood. So Jesus didn't entertain the crowds. He didn't have loads of glory about this, but he raised somebody from the dead. It happened before Elijah had done it as well. But he raised a child from the dead, and the first thing he said was very practical, get back to normal, give her something to eat, which is amazing. Right, can we go on to the next slide? Forget those two. They didn't happen. You won't believe I trained as a DT teacher, would you? (laughs) Oh, it's working now. Right. Next thing is if you look in the Bible, after all these different things, Jesus said to the disciples, to the 12 that have been with him all the time, right, now it's your turn, guys. You go out. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons. Keep that thought, please. All demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All right? So power and authority that Jesus had to do all these things, he gave to the disciples. 
Now, although words explaining the coming of God's kingdom are really important, it is good to tell people about Jesus. But it's even more important to do what Jesus did and back up those words with demonstrations of God's power. You know, you can say anything, but unless you prove it, you know, as we would say, put your money where your mouth is, nobody's really going to believe because, you know, well, anybody can say anything, really. But when they see the demonstrations of God's power, wow, that makes a difference. So, if we are called, as we all are, to spread the word about Jesus, because we are all called to be witnesses, we need to be able to first of all trust that he will supply all that we need to be able to do that, because they were sent out with nothing, they had to rely on people's hospitality, which is also a really good gift to have, actually. But they also had to trust him to be able to do the miracles. Now, there are lots of people who go out and do all sorts of different things, and they have to trust on, on God. There are people who travel all over the world trusting that God will provide. There are people who live in Bristol who do ministry and trust that God will provide. Can you trust that God will provide? Even if you've got a job, sometimes the money is not quite, doesn't quite stretch to everything. Can you trust that God will provide for you? Because he will. I've got loads of testimonies where God's provided for us. So come and talk to me about them. So I think I've skipped on a couple of things. Right. Now then, after they reported back, Jesus took them off for a bit of a retreat, get over it all and talk about it all. And another crowd followed him. These crowds are, can be quite a nuisance, really. And another crowd followed them. So it got towards the end of the day. And there were about 5,000 men. That's not including the women and children. They don't count them. Just the men. 5,000. So there must have been about eight or nine, ten thousand people altogether. So Jesus said, right, you feed them. He said, we haven't got anything. What we got is five loaves and two fish. What's going to happen? So Jesus took it and he blessed it. They fed 5,000 men and they had food left over. Now we know quite often God might ask us to do something and it might only be small. But that is a good way to start. Because when God blesses something, it will grow exponentially. And it won't be us. It will be him. We know that it's a God thing because he is blessing it. So don't be afraid to just step out in a little tiny weeny thing that God's asking you to do. Because if it is of him, he will bless it. And it will grow. And he will bring people in. And he will get people to help you. And you will grow as a team. And it will bring the kingdom of heaven wherever it is that you are. Now, after this, got next slide. Yay! Right, Jesus and Peter and John and James, look right, went up a mountain. And when they were up there, they saw Jesus' glory. Sometimes we need to take a step apart and just be in his presence to see his glory. Now, how empowering is that to see Jesus' glory? Makes you feel as though you can do anything, even stand up here. When they came down, the remaining disciples couldn't heal a boy. 
Uh, they hadn't gone up with Jesus. They'd had time apart from Jesus. Now, can you remember, Jesus said that he was going to give power to heal all demons, not just some, all demons. And sometimes if we move away from Jesus, we lose some of that power and authority that he's given us because we are no longer walking closely with him. So it's on us to keep close to Jesus. So there's all sorts of different things that Jesus did. And I'm getting stuck on my next thing again. Ah, just said that. Right, okay. So, after demonstrating all these things, he then sent out 72. There's got to be a numeric thing in that. Yeah? Okay, I'll take it that there is. I thought, oh, it's got to be a numeric thing, because in some, some readings it, it says 70. But it says, and I thought, oh, there's the tens and the perfect sevens, but it says 72 in Luke. And they sent them out in twos. Now, it's really important to do things with somebody else. Apart from the fact that, I mean, we used to go out on the streets, I think. Um, here, we went around knocking our doors in twos. Partly because you've got somebody to support you, to pray while you're doing the speaking. Partly because you've got a witness to what's going on. And partly because Jesus says, where two or three agree, it will be so. So it's good to do ministry with two of you. You know, God, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He likes to have a community whenever he does something. He's not doing things on his own. So I'm going to read this bit in Luke 10, 1 to 2, if you've got your Bibles with you. I didn't ask to put this up. I'm sorry. Okay, so Jesus sent out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that time. It's quite important that we go out, you know, all these miracles you notice that Jesus did wasn't in the synagogue. He did do a couple of miracles in the synagogue, but most of these miracles were out in the streets 
coming across people like the widow who had a, a child who died, coming across people like Jairus coming to him or all sorts of different things, or the lady who touched his cloak. The miracles and the power that God imparts to us is to go out and bring the kingdom of heaven out there. We come in here to worship together. But the kingdom of heaven is needed out there. I cry over Bristol. There are thousands of people here who don't know Jesus. Thousands who don't know Jesus. And it's our responsibility, because we've been filled with the power of God, to share him with them. Some people say that Christianity is the best kept secret. It shouldn't be. We should be proclaiming it from the rooftops. We've been singing about it. We've been waving our arms in glory and adoration to the King of Kings. And yet there are people out there who don't know him, people who are sick, who have no hope because the doctors can't heal them. God can. God can. There are people out there who feel that they're demonized and and out of society because of drugs or drink or ill mental health. Jesus can restore them. But they don't know that unless we go out and tell them and show it and demonstrate it. So, be determined in the mission that God's called you to do. Not everybody goes out healing people. Not everybody goes out preaching on the streets. Not everybody does anything. We all got different gifts. And that's so right. Now, Jesus said to the disciples quite often, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Can you see patterns of faith in these incidents? There's somebody who, who was a, a Gentile farm person, somebody who had authority, but he had faith in Jesus because he could see the authority that Jesus had. There's somebody who was ostracized from society. She had faith in Jesus that if she just touched his cloak, she would be healed. There was a child, a father, a desperate father. He went to Jesus because he was desperate for his child who was dying. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? It's not, can't be in us because we're only human. But it has to be in Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords and can do anything. But he can do anything through us. Isn't that amazing? He's given us his power, his authority to be able to do all sorts of amazing things. All the things we see him do, we can do. We can be like Jesus. We can be like Jesus. That is amazing. That is so amazing. Just little me, little you. Some of you are big, but little, you know, whoever we are, we can do the same things with Jesus because he's imparted his spirit upon us.